Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of Covey Club. And Covey Club is where you can go to find more about the practical aspects of reinventing. And we would love to have you on our news newsletter list, and then you will find out all the wonderful events we do where we teach you how to reinvent yourself. And it's step by step. And sometimes it's tiny little movements over a month or maybe bigger movements over 90 days. We have the answers you are looking for. So I hope you will join us over at coveyclub.com and make sure you pull down the newsletter and jump on it. And we would also love to have you join us. An amazing group of women. And what we say is we hold a space for you while you figure out what's next. So what a wonderful discussion I have for you today with Stephanie Smirnoff. She is an executive coach, but what's so interesting is she found her route to executive coaching within her organization. She had been a PR professional for 30 years. She loved it. And then she, during the pandemic, she ran into a wall and she found herself burned out and suddenly not as in love with doing PR as she had been. She had already moved over to a smaller uh, personal agency working for somebody she loves. She loved the people, she loved everything, but her spirit was changing. And that can happen. Let's face it, we live longer lives. Why do we have to do the same thing for 50 years? We may have a 50 year run. We may have 40 years um, in our careers. So. She decided to take the chance when she saw an opening and bring up her new idea to her boss from within. And guess what? He said yes. And that's what her story is all about. So I hope that you will join us for what I'm calling pivoting from within, which is what many of us have to do, especially coming out of COVID finding our way to the new things sometimes within our own organization. And you're going to love this conversation with Stephanie Smirnoff. Stephanie, so wonderful to see you again after so long. Yes, it's great to see you too, Leslie. So um, let's start. I like your nod to Hemingway. Um, you said, this is my reinvention story in six words, burned out, lit a different candle. Love that. Yes. <laughs> so right. let's talk a little bit about what you used to do, um, what you started out doing, um, and then, um, we'll get to what you did before. So what you did after. So let's start with, you know, where'd you grow up? What did you think you were going to do? What did you do? And just, uh, let's be succinct. We only have a half an hour. It goes really fast. Sure. Absolutely. So succinctly, I will tell you that I was pretty sure, at least by the time I got to college, that I wanted to be a professor. I was, oh. I was just, yes, I was madly in love with art history. And I, that, so that was my major undergrad. And then I got into a master's program and I was going to go all the way to a PhD and I was going to live the life of academia. And what happened was <laughs> my fatal error, or maybe it was a good error in this case, but I decided to, I had gotten into a PhD program, but I decided to defer my acceptance just for a year. So I'd finished my master's thesis at a leisurely pace. 
And I had a really good friend who was moving into the city, the city being Manhattan. And I thought, you know what? I'll just room with her, finish my master's. I'll just get a job like as an assistant. I, you know, this is back in the days, Leslie, when like you're typing, you know, words per minute was part of how you were evaluated for a role. Oh, yes. So, oh, you yes. remember? I yep. had to do the typing con, the typing test at Condé Nast like four times. Oh, <laughs> there yes. you go. So there, so, you know, it's very proud. I think I was maybe 80 words a minute. I thought I'm a shoe in. Anyone would want me as their assistant. So I ended up getting a gig as one of three executive assistants to Donna Karen, the legendary designer. And long story short, that was it. I fell madly in love with the sort of fashion and beauty industry. I fell in love with Donna. I fell in love with Manhattan and academia became a distant memory. So I never went and got that PhD, but I don't regret it because that's how I found my way into a PR role at the Donna Karen company. And 30 years later, I had become, you know, a, this veteran um, communications executive. So it, it wasn't planned. I didn't go to school for PR. I fell into it, but I fell in love with it. So really up until last year, that's what I was doing. And I had been on the agency side. I had run big practice groups at, you know, huge PR agencies. And I had also been on the client side. I had run corporate communications departments, um, you know, internally. And that's, that was my thing. You know, my identity was I'm a PR executive. That's what I do. What, what did you like about PR? What did it, what appealed to you about it? You know, I think I, I always loved writing. Uh, even, even as I pivoted to study art history as an undergraduate, I loved writing. I loved presenting, you know, and, and even in college, having to stand up in an art history class in front of a projected image of a piece of artwork and explain it. I loved that. So when I thought about PR and in the early days, as you know, Leslie, cause it's how we met. I love the idea that I could write press releases and I could think of story ideas. Mm -hmm. And then I could, you know, if all went well, I could actually enroll a journalist in the idea of a story about the brand that I was representing and then, you know, work together to make that, you know, something that would be worth writing about. Um, in the media. So I think it was just the being able to use different communication tools, whether it was verbal or written. I really loved that. And, and I really did for a long time. I love this idea of client service too. So specifically doing PR as at a PR agency, I loved serving clients and helping them meet their business objectives through communications that for a really long time, that was really motivating to me. So let's talk about your transition. What made you change? What you've been doing this for 30 years. Yep. Now what happens? Well, I know that the topic of burnout will be very familiar to your listeners. So I will not go too down and dirty on that. But I, I will say in all seriousness that, uh, you know, when, when COVID happened, COVID happened, you know, so going back to March, 2020, at that point, I was actually working on the client side. So I was running a corporate communications department for a big children's book publisher. And so, you know, basically that year um, was so stressful and, and hard for everybody. And as a communicator, and as somebody who was overseeing communications for a big global company, it was, I like to think of it now, it was sort of like one sustained flight or fight mechanism. It was just nonstop stress. And 
So by the time fall 2020 rolled around, I felt I needed a change, but I didn't yet think, Leslie, that I needed to leave PR. I just thought I needed to change jobs. So I ended up going back to the agency side and I went to an agency called the Libby Taylor Group, which where I still am. And we'll get to I that in a minute. I know them. I know Maureen. Oh, Maureen. So Maureen was a, you know, a longtime friend and mentor. And, and so it felt very, it felt very comfortable to, in the middle of this disruption of 2020, yeah. to land at Lippy Taylor, because it felt like coming home in a way. Like I, yes. I understand agency. I understand Maureen and the, the guy that Maureen had um, hired to take over the agency, Paul Dyer, who was the CEO and became my boss. This felt like my people. So, right. And so, but I'm still doing PR and what I didn't realize until really like, really like January, 2021 is that even though I had made the switch to this wonderful PR agency, I was done with PR and right. Sure. And it was really, it was painful. It it was, you know, it was like feeling like I was betraying a, a friend who had been like part of my life for the past 30 years um, to feel like this industry that had been very good to me and had been a source of personal and professional fulfillment and frankly, financial security wasn't doing it for me anymore. And how did, can I ask how that presented itself? So how does somebody know, like how, how did that present itself to you? Was it that you were depressed? You didn't want to get up in the morning. You didn't want to yeah. write this stuff anymore. Like what, what yeah. became clear that you were kind of done? I would say the two warning signs, Leslie, were number one, the idea of client service, which had always been this huge motivator for me. It felt like not only did it feel like a chore, it felt like I didn't know what I was doing anymore. So that was warning sign number one and huh. warning sign. Yeah, it was. And I suppose that's a bit of imposter syndrome, right? Did because, you lose your confidence? Was it because of the shakeup doing it during the, the pandemic because it had all been upended? I think that was part of it. Yes. It was a combination of this bizarre thought after 30 years, oh, maybe I'm not as good at this as I thought I was, which by the way, I'm very clear now was a ridiculous inner monologue that right. had no basis in fact, right? Right. But right. It, it felt like that. I think the other thing was, I just felt exhausted all the time. Even things that used to get me really lit up, like a really exciting new business pitch, where mm-hmm. before I would have been like, coach, put me in, let's go. It all felt daunting and exhausting to the point where I, mm-hmm. I really had to start reflecting, like, what's really going on here? You know, it was, it was more than just, oh, I need a break. It, was, it felt like something deeper than that. Wow. Okay. And so really it was, you know, I think the thing about, so, you know, spoiler alert, where I, where I ultimately ended up pivoting to was executive coaching. And so as I was in this moment of what do I do, if it's not PR, what's next? I, I started to draw on things I had actually learned in the past when I myself had been the beneficiary of executive coaching. I had gotten to do it twice at two different times at two different companies um, at my, you know, as I like grew as a professional and I always took so much away from those, those coaching experiences. So I started to apply coaching without even knowing what I was doing. I started to kind of coach myself through this like dark moment I was in. Again, this is like January ish of 2021. And the question I asked myself was if fear was not an object, if, insecurity or lack of confidence was not an issue right now, what would you be doing? 
and I had to, and I journaled, you know, and I tried to work my way towards an answer to that question. And what I got to was <laughs> irony of ironies. I think I would be executive coaching. That's what I would be doing. I would, um, I would not be doing PR anymore. And so, so that was an insight. I would how be did you come coach. up with that? I mean, like, that's just like so random. Had you been put through executive coaching? Did you have a friend? Did you start? Yes. Like what happened? Like, how did you find your way? Because the, these transitions, people want to know how did they find their way? And sometimes um, one of the hardest things is when you know you have to do something else. The big scary part that um, we help with uh, at Covey Club is how do you find the path to the next thing? Right. So how did you find that path? Well, I will say, and I know this sounds almost like the trite example, but I was journaling through this whole process because I was pretty clear that I wasn't going to figure this out just by sitting there thinking, right? Okay, so that's all right. All right. So I'm so first of all, I start, you know, all these questions I'm asking myself, like, all right, if you're so unhappy doing public relations, what is it? And I would, you know, every morning with my coffee, I'd journal. And and yes, I had I had been, I would say at two key milestones in my career. I had had executive coaching, you know, because I, you know, I was lucky enough, my, my companies at the time brought in a coach to work with me. So yes, which is, which is fantastic. So I wish we'd all had that. And we did not have the access to that. When I was growing up, it was not mm, something unless you were the top, top dog and no one talked about it either. Right. Right. You know, know, I do. and, And even when I did it for the first time, which would have been early aughts, maybe like mm-hmm. 2005-ish, mm-hmm. um, there was still a little bit of a feeling of, is there something wrong with you? With yeah, your, if your company, would, right, right, right. They, right. In, my, in my business, they would bring in the executive coach because you were too, too much of a nut job. Right. And right. how, you know, we got to calm her down so she can actually run the business and because no, no one can work with her. That's right. That's right. Well, so here's some full confession, because I feel, you know, what are we doing here for not being candid? So right. the first time I had coaching, I was, I was at a, a small agency and I was in the line of succession to take over a CEO, um, which was made clear to me, but it was also made clear to me that I had these awful communication habits oh. that made people not want to work for me or with oh, me. Interesting. Uh-huh. And I had zero self-awareness about it. So wow. that coach, interesting. Yep, Oh yeah. Ironic. Right. Cause I'm, Oh, I'm such a good communicator, but I had my issue back then in those days was I, I, um, I had trouble managing my frustration and oh. that would be very apparent in how I communicated with people. Okay. So I, I actually had the great gift of working with an executive coach for a year. And I'll tell you what, it was transformative. So, wow. and I did, you know, so I, I did get the CEO role. So that was nice. So coaching worked. Um, And then again, a couple of years later, not for quite as urgent a reason, but I was new. I had actually joined a company where for new leaders, they offered coaching to help people on board and sort of find their feet, which again, Mm -hmm. amazing, right? So back to your question, how did I figure out coaching is what I wanted? When I started to, to think about the things that I loved outside of PR that fueled me and even the kinds of work, like, do you need to be in an office to do it? Can it be done truly from anywhere? What I, what I realized after a couple of, of weeks of sort of journaling my way to this was, I think I would like to do for other people what executive coaches did for me. Right. And, right? and so, and one thing I did know about myself, even as a PR practitioner, 
you know, as, as you get more senior, you also have other responsibilities. I was leading teams, I was managing right. people, and I was very, very fulfilled by helping unlock the best in the people on my teams. So even though communications was the profession, there was still this strong sense of, I love working with people. I love managing talent. I love, I love helping people discover their best. And so that I think was it. That's where I realized, wait a minute, that's the connective tissue between what I did as a leader in PR and what I could do as a coach. And very interesting. That's a good insight for people to look at what they do now. And it's funny, I've heard a couple of people who ended up in coaching, um, one who was a Wall Street titan, basically, and the thing that she was getting the biggest charge out of was not making all the money. It was um, coaching the people around her to do better when they had problems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she figured it out that way. It wasn't, she'd make all this money and that didn't like give her the juice, you know? Right. Yeah. So you have to look, you have to really Mm -hmm. look at tear apart what you currently do, right? Yes. And and say, you may be a doctor, you may be a lawyer, maybe an Indian chief, whatever. You Mm -hmm. have to figure out what the things are in there, break them down and say, what is the thing within this that makes me happy? And then you can extract that and maybe apply it somewhere else or just do that thing alone. That's great. Exactly. And there was this beautiful moment of things coming full circle. Once I had that insight, when I, something reminded me of my original aspiration, going back to being a 21 year old undergraduate and wanting to be a professor. I wanted to teach people. I wanted to ah, unlock, right? Teaching. Yes. So suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, it's all coming together. Now, this is where I think back to your to the way you frame that, Leslie, like this is something people can do for themselves. And I completely agree. What's interesting to watch out for as you start to do, I like to think of it as this excavation, excavating, you know, the thing about your current role that you actually could translate into the ideal role. I noticed how often I would stop myself, even before I could fully explore something, I would start this inner monologue thing of, you can't do this. You're only known as a PR person. You will never be right. And so, you know, I, again, I might be stating the obvious, but I think one of the other things that served me really well through this whole process was developing some tools and strategies to silence the inner monologue before it would stop me and, you know, like shut down this whole process before I was even out of the gate. And for me, that was um, really just asking myself, a couple of questions when I felt myself getting stuck or like retreating, like, oh, I'll just go back to PR. Oh, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Knowing that it would not at all be fine. I would ask myself this question. What would you do right now if fear was not an object? If fear of not making as much money, fear of losing a professional identity that you've built over three decades, like if none of that was a factor, what would you do next? And that's how I was able to silence the inner monologue and keep moving forward. Incredible. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things that stops a lot of people. When I started this business, when I started Covey Club, I had a lot of people, very well-meaning, who said to me, you sure you want to do this? You have such a wonderful reputation of being successful. What if you fail? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I don't really have a choice because I got to do something and I got to continue to keep helping women. So if I fail, I fail. What can I do? I just, I was like, I already own that success. 
it's in my back pocket. Like you can't take it away from me. I already have it. So, Mm -hmm. so what, you know, I don't know. I I had a very um, laissez-faire attitude about like, I felt like I'd had enough success, Stephanie, that, that if I failed, I failed. I don't know how to explain that, but maybe you felt that same way finally, where you could say, you know what, did you feel you owned your success or did you feel it was still contingent upon being successful? I would say I partially could own my success, but you know, you're reminding me of, of something else that became a, a tool for me. You know, when you talked about like the people around you and they, mm-hmm. you know, them saying, but wait a minute, you know, what if you fail? And I, I, I noticed myself even not knowing that I was doing it, but I, I started to reach out to, I'll call it my trust circle, you know, people who were friends and, and in many cases, friends who had become friends, but they started as colleagues. So people who really knew me professionally, but also knew me, knew me personally. And whenever I started to doubt myself or, you know, lose a sense of my sex, my success, and frankly, my right to leverage that success into something new, I would, I would literally text a friend and say, SOS, do you have a minute? I need you because I needed somebody other than myself to remind me of who I was. And, and this wasn't like an ego boost. It was something more profound than that. It was, it was quite literally dismantling the imposter syndrome nonsense in my head. And, and my friends would literally, they'd bring me back to myself and And so I, you know, I'm sure it goes beyond networking. You know, this is different than that. It's like creating that group of people. It might be one or two people and very often women. Most of these people were women and there were two men in my trust circle too. But the women who will say to you, look at all that you accomplished over the past three decades. Why on earth would you be anything other than confident in your success as you move forward or whatever they would say to me, right? Right, right. And- as a side note, after I did make the complete change over to coaching and went public that I'd done so, if I could tell you the steady stream of referrals who have come from those very same people. Uh-huh. And it's like incredible what your network will do for you. They will rally for you. They will support you. Uh, it's just, it's been the most beautiful thing. It really has. Now, did you stop work and then go into coaching and get your... Um, certification or did you do it side by side? How did, what was the practical of how? So here's, this is, and I maybe this is a, this, I hope this example can be helpful for somebody who is thinking about reinventing without leaving their company. A lot of people, that's an issue. Right. Okay. So here's, 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 you know, and I was really thinking about this, getting ready to come chat with you today. And I was thinking, well, you know, I really got lucky. There was the serendipity thing that happened and you know, so it was luck. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, it wasn't. No, it, it wasn't luck. Right. But isn't that funny? Again, in women say this all the time. Women always oh, say I got lucky. Women, right. women always put it up to luck. And actually you've been preparing for it. Um, and men will never say I got lucky. Right. It's so funny. God, yeah. I love this. Yeah. So here's, here's what I, there was, there was serendipity, but, but this is the thing you know, serendipitous things can happen to us. It's a question of how did we respond to the serendipity? So absolutely. Right. And so that's, and that was my turning point. So as I said before, I had, I had my most recent gig was at Libby Taylor, this wonderful PR agency that had welcomed me with open arms. 
in the fall of 2020. So January 21, as I've said, I'm, I'm clear that I need to do something different. And I, I knew I had to tell my boss, Paul, our CEO, because what I didn't want to do was just quit. I, that would not, that would be disruptive to my team, to the agency. And frankly, it's just not how I operate. So I had to summon up my courage and I didn't yet know exactly that it was executive coaching that I wanted to do that was still percolating, but I did feel I needed to let my boss know, listen, I, I need to make a change. I'm not sure what it is, but my request is that we can consider maybe downscaling my time. Maybe I go to three days a week so I can also use some time the rest of the week to figure out what my next move is. So serendipity, number one, I had a boss who was like open-minded enough to say yes to that. And so I give full credit to Paul for that. Um, that's serendipity, number one. Here's the next moment of serendipity. So I'm working part-time. I'm still in my old role, but I'm figuring out maybe I do want to do coaching, but I don't know how to start. How does one do that? And I'm beginning to like network and research and learn more about that. I swear I'm not making this up. An email goes out from Paul to the leadership team of the agency, of which I'm still a part. He doesn't know that I'm thinking about coaching. And he, he shares that there's clearly been such an ongoing need um, from our staff at the agency for professional development and mentoring. And, you know, they just, they were asking for more and more of this kind of support and programming. So the idea that Paul came up with was maybe like a mentor in residence program where somebody from the outside would come into the agency and be a mentor, like office hours, but working with the leaders of the agency um, because it was something people were asking for. So I read this email and I immediately think I, I could do this. And I wonder if I could reframe this not as a mentor in residence program, but as a coach in residence program and work with my CEO to create an internal co coaching program. That's what's running through my mind when I see this email. So this is this moment where my desire has lined up with something the agency actually needs, but I had to have the courage to like step into the opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, it, and he wasn't coming at it exactly the way you thought of it. So you got, you had, right. a, but you had to recognize that this was an opportunity. Exactly. To meet somewhere in the middle. Great. Exactly. So that would be my, my advice for anyone thinking about this internal pivot. In what way can what you want to do align with the needs of the organization so that when you do eventually approach whoever your senior stakeholder is or the decision maker, you're not just coming through the lens of this is a change I really need to make. This is meaningful to me. Like, that's OK, but I wouldn't lead with that. Right. It was. And that's what I ended up doing at the agency. I basically shot Paul a note and I said, I think I can do this. I think I can add value in this way. Would you be open to talking about it? To his credit, he immediately shot back, I love this, let's talk. And we ended up co-creating an internal coaching program where I was coaching senior leaders at the agency four days a week and pursuing my coaching credentials on the side. And a year later, we're still doing it. And awesome. We, yeah. I love and this. I love it's, this. So it's really, it's really pivoting while pivoting from within. It's not even, yes. you're not even starting your own thing. You're you're actually pivoting. You're finding a pivot point with them. I love that. That's right. That's right. And, and I, I really, you know, I think that I really wonder how many people had a vision for what a new career path could look like at their organization, 
and never pursued it for all these reasons that we know, the imposter syndrome, the I don't have a right to ask, how would I ever make my case? Um, you know, and again, that idea that you kind of stop yourself before you're even out of the starting gate, having the conversation with the people who make the decisions. Right. And so I'm, I'm, um, you know, and again, it goes back to the tools that I was using, because when I realized that this might be an opportunity to actually become an internal coach um, within the organization where I had just recently been the chief engagement officer, I had to make sure that I could articulate how I could bring value to it, why I would make sense versus a more experienced coach that maybe my CEO could go higher from the outside. You know, I had to really think through how can I make my case and not be stopped by a lack of confidence. And so, so it was great. It was a wonderful, it was a wonderful end to the journey. And back to the Hemingway six word story, yes. that was the new candle that I lit. I lit the candle of, I'm going to be an internal coach at this agency. And it's been great. Love, love. And so are, do you, so you do that part-time and then you have other clients as well? Yes, I do. I have, um, I have a small group of private clients that I see, you know, on my off, my off days when I'm not working at the agency. And, and I really love that too, because it gives me an opportunity to coach people you know, in, in completely different fields, um, uh, as opposed to coaching my colleagues who we do right. share a common language, right, around communications. Um, and, and again, I think with one exception, every single one of my private clients has come through referrals, which is so meaningful that my, my network of professional friends has like trusted me with their referrals. And that's been really gratifying. What would you say, Stephanie, for people, I, I mean, and I will freely admit, I did 25 years of therapy. And when I heard about coaching, I was like, oh, please, you know, what are they going to do for me? Though right. I was very frustrated with what happens in therapy is you get to a certain point. Yes, you know your motivation. Yes, you make peace with all that. But there's no effort to move you forward. There's no yes. forward thinking. There's no forward planning. There's no changing your behavior, actively changing mm -hmm. it. So I totally understand it now. How would you explain it to people who are thinking, do I need a coach? What kind of coach? And then we've got a bazillion different types of coach yes. out there to choose from. So it's confusing. Um, it's hard to find somebody good. Um, yes. And how do you find somebody who need, who's doing what you need them to do? Yes. Great questions. And, uh, you know, I think First of all, I think that in an ideal world, everybody would have a coach and everybody would have a therapist because you get so much out of all of yes, it. Yes, I agree. You, right? You said it beautifully, Leslie. I mean, the biggest distinction, and, and by the way, it's, it's something, you know, anyone who's ever been certified or credentialed as a coach knows, you, you know, in your training, you, they, there's a lot, of spine, a lot of time spent so that you as the aspiring coach understand the difference between coaching and therapy right. and also coaching and consulting because they're not the same thing. Oh, um, that's interesting. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, but I think that, as you said, the, you know, therapy is wonderful, right? Like therapy, you know, I, I think of it as therapy is excavating sort of the root causes of things, but yes. as you said, it, right. It's not about, okay, now that we understand the root cause, what perceptions or behaviors can you shift so that you can accomplish whatever's meaningful for you? Correct. That's where coaching comes in. Correct. And, and so, you know, and I, and I, when I am talking to a potential client, I always make sure that they feel comfortable and clear on that distinction because, you know, when one of my coach trainers said, listen, 
I respect the fact that you had such and such happen in your relationship with your mother, but I don't particularly care because it's not relevant to our coaching right. conversation, right? right. So right. coaching begins with what is a meaningful outcome for you? What are the beliefs or behaviors that are holding you, holding you back from meeting that objective? And now how can we work together so that you unlock your own ideas and your own insights about the actions that you need to take? And that's also then where the distinction between coaching and consulting comes in because consulting, as many of your listeners will know, you know, if you're a consultant, you are a subject matter expert, you were hired to come in, assess a situation, and based on your expertise, provide a solution. It is directive. It is, um, it's like advice giving. And that's another thing you learn as a coach. You, it is drilled into you. Your job is not to give advice. You may want to, but that is not your job. Because if I give you advice, I'm robbing you of the opportunity to come up with your own solutions. And mm. that's coaching. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that. It, I didn't really know that, but I understand mm -hmm. that. And what is yeah. an executive coach? Just briefly, because we're almost at the end. What is, sure. How do I know I need an executive coach and not something else? Absolutely. I would say fundamentally, if you look at the issue that's plaguing you, the thing that you really wish you could resolve, if that is something in your professional sphere, it might be how you deal with, um, you know, scheduling overwhelm. It might be a feeling of inability to unlock the best performance from your people. But if it's really focused on your professional life, I would look for an executive coach. Sometimes an executive coach is referred to as a leadership coach versus a life coach. Um, and, you know, and there are probably infinite other iterations of coaches who, who work outside of the professional environment, but that's how I would describe it in a nutshell. Great. Well, Stephanie, where can people find you if they want to follow you or listen to things you have to say? Um, where can they find you? They can find me, I would say, first and foremost, come connect with me on LinkedIn. That is where um, it's easiest to find me. Uh, I am also on Twitter uh, at S Smirnoff. Um, I would say those are the two places to start. And I am delighted. Of, and by the way, to your question about how does someone find out what kind of a coach they need? Mm -hmm. If you've got listeners who are kind of in that space of like, where do I go? I would, with no agenda, be happy to talk to people to help them understand the kind of coach they might need. Oh, um, so yeah, happy to do that. And again, the way to find me is just Stephanie Smirnoff on LinkedIn. You'll find me very easily. And they can tell you that they heard you on the podcast um, and yes. that you would, they would like to understand more. That's great. Stephanie, I would love to do that. Thank you so much. I love learning about how you recover from burnout and how you open up the door. I love the pivoting from within. I think that's unique. And I think a lot of people have to figure that out. Um, and you're often too afraid to bring it up. And um, you never know what kind of boss you're going to have who might be excited to hear it. You just That's don't right. know. And you got to give it right. a try. And it doesn't mean it's always going to work, but um, you never know. And you certainly That's don't right. know if it does, <laughs> if you don't try. So Stephanie, yes. thank you. Thank you a million times. And I love what you're doing. And thank you for being so articulate about how you did what you did. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Leslie. This was a pleasure. Thank you all for joining us for this great conversation with Stephanie. I hope it was inspiring to you. I hope it showed you that if you keep your eyes open within your organization, and if you keep your the wheels in your brain going, 
you may actually find that there are moments where your organization and your desire for change are lining up. And you just have to be brave enough to go out there and ask. And you never know, it can happen, just like it happened for Stephanie. I hope if you enjoyed the podcast, you will make sure you subscribe. Please share it with other people who you know are trying to figure out what's next for them. And we would love it if you would give us some stars on your uh, podcast, uh, whatever podcast system you you use so that other people can find us. That really helps surface us for other women in need and sometimes men who are trying to figure this all out. And then come on over to Coffee Club and join us there too, because we have articles for you. We have downloads, we have classes. We have everything you need to know about reinvention. We understand reinvention. We understand what you're going through. It's not strange. It's just, you're trying to do it all by yourself. And boy, does that suck. So come join us and do it with friends. Take care. See you next time.